men when they have an issue or a difficulty in their relationships or their intimate lives, they often want to fix it. What if actually you, you had incredible resources, you had incredible beauty, truth and goodness exactly as you are? I think one of the greatest gifts we can give to our partners is to see them as, as poetry. I remember during that period of time, I was very susceptible to girls' beauty. You know, girl, girls stink and girls are stupid and all this kind of stuff. And I was kind of like, yeah, 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 saying all that stuff too. I actually had a, a client, a Norwegian, who said, you know, if my friends at school knew how much I loved girls, they would all call me gay. Obviously the most nonsensical sentence you can imagine. When I finished my studies, I looked around and I realized that modern Britain at the time was nothing that I could fit into. So I decided to um, follow my heart. When you've been on the outside, you then see how people are suffering and what they're missing on the inside. What is my story? What is my myth? What do I love? What fills me with wells of energy? There is a profound easiness and an uncomplicatedness to be in a man. Once we find, I think, a particular liberation from, from the things that we suffer with. Welcome back to this new Wayshowers podcast episode. It's episode four. Today we're going to dive in with Jordan Luke Collier. But before that, let me just give you a quick update on what's been going on in my life because it's been more than a month since the last episode was launched and I want you to know why. I just became a dad to our firstborn, a son. Michelle, my fiance and I, we have been quite preoccupied welcoming this being. He's incredibly cute and quite harmonious. It seems like his nervous system is fairly well regulated and I think it's because Michelle and I we have been preparing well she's been eating well and we're also a great team and so I'm really grateful and I feel privileged to, to have this particular soul and being coming to us because he seems quite special I'm not going to share much in terms of video and photos I'm going to keep his uh, privacy for now, but this has been a big thing in my life and that's been the reason why things have been a bit slow with this Wayshowers podcast. So I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. It's time to dive in. Welcome back to a new episode of the Wayshowers podcast. Today I have the great pleasure to have you, Jordan Luke Collier, as my guest. So you, Jordan, you are a transformational men's coach and an author. And well, there's a lot to you that I would love to dig into. And, you know, we we have known of each other and been colleagues for many years, as we always do on this show. We start with like, who are you? What do you do? What is your story for becoming a transformational men's coach and an author? Right. Well, Thanks, Ivan, for upgrading into author right off the bat. I, I told you, writer, I haven't actually completed a, a book and got it out into the world. Um, this writing definitely feels something like destiny for me and my happy side, but I'm not an author, but I will take that on and maybe that's I see. shaping the world. Yeah. <laughs> I feel very similar to you. I've not released my first book myself, but I'm writing a lot. Yeah. yeah. So... You're a future author. Maybe, maybe you're some kind of feature angel for me because I remember about 10 years ago when we first met, you had me on your Reclaiming Your Reclaiming Your Head of Funny program, I'm sorry, and you, and you dubbed yeah. me the Lover Archetype. 
And in my mind at the time, I was a men's dating relationship coach, but you upgraded me from men's dating relationship coach into the the embodiment of the lover archetype. And (laughs) that gave me a new identity to really grow into and explore. It was really profound, actually, that you invited me into a a higher octave, actually, at the same same work. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm glad I didn't know that I had that impact on on you. Yeah. Well, that's 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 lovely to hear. Yeah. So over the years, I've known you as somebody who works very closely with men who maybe struggle in their connection with women, or maybe they don't struggle, but they just want that little bit of edge or more artistic, um, beautifying presence in 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 the relational arena. And uh, yeah, do you feel like this is still who you are, or maybe you can speak to this a little bit? Why? Why has that been so important for you? Well, that that work is that's been my my life and my profession for the last eleven years. I would say yeah. I'm uh, more specifically a, a poetic and a literary men's coach in this domain, and I say that meaning most of the time, men when they have a an issue or a difficulty in their relationships or their intimate lives, they often want to fix it. I need to mm. fix my dating life. I need to nail this thing, get this in order, as if it's ever going to be in order, you know, in a short package of time. Um, and a lot of that, I, I want to fix my relationship to women. I want to fix my, my relationship life comes with it, a kind of self-improvement mindset, which I think, can over over a period of time actually be quite quite destructive and disconnecting. I want to yeah. improve myself so that I become a better performer, a better lover, a better seducer, a better superior man. You know, I want to convert myself into an enhanced version of myself so that I can get the things I want, please other people, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um built on top of the surface, which is I'm not worthy actually, or I'm not lovable as I am. And so I really want to kind of cool that out in men that I work with and instead take a more poetic look at the situation that you're in. Like, what if there was nothing wrong or nothing incomplete about the current circumstances? That That's usually a big thing for a man who's, who's in pain around this area to accept. But what if actually you, you had incredible resources, you had incredible beauty, truth, and goodness exactly as you are? we started from this place. So in my work, I'm, I'm looking first of all to, I, I take a very poetic view of the life circumstances of the men that I work with rather than mm. see them as, you know, only on round three of the mountain at 10 different rounds in their life or looking for where they can improve. I'm looking at what's actually poetic. How would I capture this person in their circumstance in this moment in their life as it is? How can I see that as beautiful already? How can I help you to make a story or to reinterpret your circumstances in a way that you see beauty and poetry in what's going on with you, including in your loneliness and your struggle? Can you see that? When you look at, at women, uh, when you look at the people that you want to be in a relationship with, uh, do you see those people too as um, poetic or maybe a bit of a project? Or maybe mm. some like, out of your league that one day you have to attain to. And 
the one of the key insights that that I, I've been very fortunate to get is if we can look out at the world um, at others and see other people as poetry rather than this kind of uh, modern sense of a human being that's not functioning, you know, dysfunctional or something like that, or, or wounded or has their work to do ahead yeah. of them. Um, it seems make other people open and feel more delighted to be in a conversation with you. So in terms of being a romantic, in terms of intimacy, in terms of being in a relationship, I think one of the greatest gifts we could give to our partners is to see them as, as poetry and see ourselves somehow as poetic and feel the thing that we're both living together as something, something artistic, cinematic, literary. Yeah. I'm reminded as you speak of why I did come to you as the embodiment of the lover archetype. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you're sharing a, a view that is quite radical in terms of how I perceive the kind of offerings that are out there in the personal development, transformational space. Typically there is a sense, and I think I'm a bit more in that camp than, than, than you are. Like there is work to do and there are things that we need to integrate and maybe a bit more of that carry your, carry your cross kind of mentality. But you're coming to it from this place like um, like a it's almost like I feel the presence of an innocent childlike wonder in what you're saying. Does that feel true or very Yeah, that's part of it. And yeah, as she's as you speak this back, I feel another perspective, which is kind of the the, the director of cinema or the screenwriter. Mm. Like if I'm going to create a wonderful piece of art, I'm going to begin with my character and my character is never going to be perfectly put together. They're going to be broken. Yeah. If I if I choose to make one sympathetic, like my, my protagonist or the love object or whatever it is, if I want to portray a person who's generally sympathetic but also quite broken, and they go on an interesting character arc, then I'm actually going to look at them, including all the places where they're broken. So do I, as a film director or as a painter or as a writer, want to create a character who's, you know, just doing work and incrementally improving year after year? Right. It's not so much um, from a soul level. Like when I, when I look at that from the outside, I, I don't get so much um, resonance back. It's like, it's right. beautiful to look into the mirror and be like, wow, you're actually broken in this way. That resonates so much to me. That enlivens me to know that I feel somehow seen and reflected back in that you struggle in these areas and I do too. Wow. It, so that the connection of maybe struggle and struggle or wound and wound, let's say, um, itself creates an, an incredible beauty and an incredible intimacy. Rather than being in a, and, and I've been in these, rather than being in a relationship where we're coaching each other all the time. Right. So there's, there's a sense here of a character going on an adventure of becoming like there's, there's something compelling about this character because of the, the way that you frame, frame him and his uniqueness. You know, you don't, you don't have this bland introduction to a movie, but actually 
you're seeking for the ways in which this this person is sort of be- beautifully fractured in his own unique way. And I'm reminded of, I don't remember what that art is called, but there's a Japanese art form where whatever you break, you put it back together with like gold. And then that's considered like even more beautiful than the object was before it broke. And that, yeah, exactly. do you, are you familiar with that art yeah, form? I forget, I forget the name of it, but it, it's like now that you've actually got something to look at in the bars, because not only have you got the perfect originally constructed bars, but you've got the, the handiwork of how did this thing fall apart? And then yeah. how did the craftsman put it back together again? And like, what is the unique kind of riff in this? Yes, yeah. yes, because every 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 break, every rupture, every way of falling apart it is unique. And and I wonder, is this um connected to this teaching around the wound, the sacred wound, like the, the core wound becoming the sacred wound, so the wound becomes the gift that you give, or is that more of a psychotherapeutic approach and that you don't really see it that way? I do see it that way. I think the the notion of the sacred wound is incredibly important and that's been something definitely huge in my life and that I speak with a lot with, with the men I work with. But yeah. just in this way, it's like, I, I don't know how many wounds we all have if we were to add them up and say, okay, like 200, one of them's like a huge rift. And I'm happy, but then I've got other kind of vein and capillary wounds all over me, right? Um, we can compare sacred wounds. We, we can connect in smaller wounds. But, but the general idea is one of, it, it's like an artistic liberation, right? Like mm. I didn't, you could say, 2023 is the year that I'm going to get my dating life handled and I'm going to up level as a man. You go on yeah. this big self-improvement march from workshop to workshop. And by the end of it, you might feel a little bit better about yourself, probably because mm. you're in a self-improvement mindset and you, you just walk into another neurosis. It's just involving, you know, what's okay, what's 2024 going to look like and pushing it on. Or you can kind of liberate yourself now by saying, yeah. wow, what, what if this is it? Actually, Emily, Emily accepts one of the things that are spurring me on to want to change myself. Well, can I really articulate them a little bit better? Can I breathe into them? Can I give love to them? Can I write? Can I kind of accept them? That's a big yeah. ask, but that's the first yeah. step of healing, of course, right? And it's also the first step of a deep intimacy. Yeah. It reminds me of a model that I use inside of the, my membership, the Guild, where I don't need to go into detail about it, but there, there is a way that we get stuck in this uh, life hacking mentality and that we're learning all kinds of techniques. And then we notice that, you know, we have this other flaw that we didn't notice and now we need to hack that one. And then we, we do all kinds of technical kind of strategic work, which of course drives really well with the masculine orientation. But fundamentally, we always come from this idea that I, I'm, I'm like the engine that's not working. But then in the, in the way that I've conceptualized it, you need to come to a place of like touching ground, touching bottom in, in a sense, and just accepting like, well, actually, this is, this is the guy that I am. And when that happens and you can be a yes to what is, you can actually start re-engaging with a similar kind of work, but you're not running away from it, but you're actually moving towards it. And I think this is 
quite similar to what you're talking about, even though you're adding a lot of poetry and art. <laughs> yeah. Does that? Yeah. Very yeah. much. Great. So how did you end up here? Like this, this is quite unique and I'm just, maybe, maybe where it came from this idea that there was like a, an innocent, you know, um, adventuring spirit. I, I was projecting like Jordan as a young boy, like creating the foundation building blocks for this future work. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Is, is that yeah, true? That, or? that definitely happened. Jordan is a little boy with a sacred wound as well, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're we're in the kind of set the same age range. I mean, if we really yeah. take, you know, plunge into the kind of genesis of it all around five, six, seven years old, a, a lot of big stuff happens in my life, mm -hmm. right? parents in the dots so there's a there's a rift and, and a, an original kind of place where that moon took place yeah. um and then i remember having some really monumental experiences of just going on holiday with my family and um one year went to spain and i just had amazing memories of being on this beach the beautiful you know girl seven-year-old girl and uh falling in love and I remember during that period of time, I was very susceptible to girls' beauty and all the other boys in school were playing football. And, and you're not that anymore, of course. You don't <laughs> <get that. laughs> yeah, girl, girls stink and girls are stupid and all this kind of stuff. And I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying all that stuff too, but really I was, yeah, I, I don't know. I just had a bit more of a sensitivity to it. Smart, sparkling pair of eyes. And, you know, I love me smile. Mm. And this thing of, of one is the, the, feminine energy in girls and women and so on right and as i grew up i i pursued that and adolescence for me was tough in that regard um but in because the young adult, sensitive or yeah yeah exactly right i um i think in my case it was a sense of having this really big heart and attraction and also the neediness related to the pain of, you know, upbringing and, you know, my father was not present in that, those young years of my life. So there, all that stuff, like a boy who doesn't have like the, the backup of the strength and his father behind him, who's maybe, you know, looking or over attentive to women and wanting to, to have that as well is it was all in the mix. And I think I, I, I loved women, but if other people actually had a, a client, a Norwegian, who said, you know, if my friends at school knew how much I loved girls, they would all call me gay. Hmm. Obviously, the most nonsensical sentence you can imagine. But in terms of being found out as an English boy, as having some kind of sensitivity in the heart, like I like beauty and that makes me happy and I want that. All the other boys would, you know, or might or could turn on me, bully me, outcast me, ostracize me because I've got maybe a romantic proclivity, right? So I kept a lot of myself in. At that age, it was okay to um, make out with a lot of girls or sleep with girls or get your numbers up and stuff like that. But you would never admit something like love or uh, romantic longing or, you know, really wanting a girl. But that simply wasn't oh. part of the culture. Yeah, yeah, you would be cool, but you would never give away that you actually feel anything on the inside. 
So I, right. I was very protective actually about being found out as a, as a English boy who had feelings. And, and you were in I, England at the time. Yeah. I, I grew up in England. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, I didn't want to be found out for that. So yeah. obviously that, that, but the breaks on my, my dating life and my solution to this was as soon as I could, when I'm 22, 23 years old, I moved to South America and I ended up living a lot of years in Brazil and Argentina mm-hmm. and the, 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 the soul searching piece in this or the missing, like, yeah, I was curious who are the most beautiful women on the planet. Can I go and find suddenly go and scour the world for a Penelope cruiser or some Hayek or something like this. But I think deeper than that, there was a sense of the, on the South American cultures, I project, um, sensuality, emotionality, the ability to be whole with one's feeling is kind of the Southern archetype in fully embodied, fully whole, fully virile, fully sexual. I wanted to be in touch with those cultures, hoping that that would rub off on me as well. And I'd be able to reclaim that, that, that confidence in my, my sexuality and sensuality. Yeah. Cool. So, so there's, there's a young English boy in a culture, which I guess is fairly similar to other cultures, at least at the time. I don't exactly know what it's like now. Seems to be very confusing landscape with the wokeness and everything coming in. So I can't really analyze the situation accurately, but, um, but you have this young boy that has poetry in his heart and like appreciation for beauty. And um, I sense there were a couple of little girl muses along the way that just propelled you further into this kind of lifestyle. And there's a dad that's not present. So he's not shaping you in that masculine way, but somehow these women become become would you say it is an obsession is it like unhealthy or is it is it a good kind of longing that is growing in you at that point my word yeah i think it oscillated between the two honestly i mean obsession that's that's a really strong word like it is a strong word i have to define uh, what do you mean how was it exactly but yeah, it's kind of like you're being run yeah. by it. You don't have choice in the matter. It's like an all-consuming thing. Possibly. I mean, I, I, in a way, I, I see a soul's journey. Like to give it a name. If you are to, mm. what I did very, very strongly was when I finished my studies, I looked around and I realized that modern Britain at the time was nothing that I could fit into. Like the shaping yeah. of who I was and what I wanted, it, the society did not make sense. And it was weird yeah. because we grew up with great mythology and stories and heroic that adventures. Is weird. So yeah. You get yeah. to be an adult, it's all dry. So I decided to um, follow my heart, as people would say, right? Follow my heart, follow myself. Was it an obsession? Yeah, definitely the broken pieces inside of me spurred me on to go and find healing, um, mm. find compensation for the things that I missed out on. Okay, I'm going to go to parts of the world where I'm going to, you know, run around and meet all the women I can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I think in following that kind of sacred wound territory, it's, it's also the, the, the one's Dharma or one's actual personal myth 
in a grander way, which is I I need to go and follow the same in a in a good and a healthy way because the treasure that I'm going to bring back to myself and later to others is so great. So yeah, and 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 I think the whole way that that you know I've heard it said when when someone kind of drops out of conventional society, what are they actually doing with their life? Is it mm-hmm. that they're they're growing into some some deeper form of discovery, like you see beneath the fabric of uh, the, the the kind of bullshit expectations yeah. and the continual conformity that everyone wants to place you in? Are you actually seeking out a deeper existence and a deeper version of yourself, or are you on an exodus? You know, let's go where the the beers are cheap and the girls are pretty and sex drugs are rock and roll. Do we get stuck? right? In some kind of addictive thing. And definitely I trolled that line between, is this an exodus, a, a flaking out of society with, with its rigor and its harshness and its rat race, or is this actually on a journey towards soul? And yeah, I mean, I definitely skated that line for a long, long time. Mm. I find it um, fascinating how many men who are in this, who are leaders in the field of men, men's work, transformational work, have a quite a similar story of being the odd one out early on. And I'm wondering, is that what actually spurs us onto the leadership path? Is that in a way an early individuation process? Like, is that how you come to shape yourself as a leader? Because you actually have to differentiate yourself from the, the the normative culture very early on. Do you feel that is the case with you? Perhaps. I mean, I definitely went a different way. And then I definitely returned as somebody very different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess a later question comes, which is I've spent a number of years outside of culture, doing the explorations that I have. When I come yep. back, how do I shape myself up as someone who has an offering? Because clearly I'm not going to go, if I didn't go into the corporate path at time three, I'm not going to go into it. What's on my resume for the last seven years, right? Um, but well, what, you could do a what, David White and take poetry into corporate culture. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe it's happening. <laughs> That's where, where I'll end up going. But um, along the way, I mean, I come back as someone different and that it, when you've been on the outside, you then see how people are suffering and what they're missing on the inside. And then it's like, oh, I've actually got really big pieces to the equation now that I could come back and plug into culture with something very, very significant to offer. Yeah. And, and, And a myth, right? Like people... People might have laughed at me and judged me when I first started traveling. Why do you want to do this? Sounds stupid. Do you want to be at home with your mates and do what everyone else is doing? No, I'm going to the furthest country in the world that I can possibly find. But then a few years later, you realize actually people really respect that. Mm. Oh, they, they actually grow dry or they see through or painful things happen to them that starts to rupture their, their kind of set of wife images white picket fence perfection that everyone's living in and now they're looking for answers hey jordan by the way 
just wanted to ask you this in private, but you told me about that country that you went to with this island. <laughs> Where, where's a good place to stay at the beginning of that? And then you actually find that that, that, that path becomes useful for other people as well. Yeah. 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 That is, um, that is a hero's journey on so many levels, actually. It's when when you step out of of the normative and people start to look at you as like what kind of what kind of weirdo is this guy and and then there is that soulful impulse that I think li lives in everyone but to great, greater and lesser degrees the, the soulful impulse of going on a quest there there is something inside of I believe most people that wants to be an adventuring spirit at least for a while. And I think that is why a lot of adults that never traveled feel restless in their marriages and in their families when they grow older. Um, in a similar fashion as, as I hate to say this, but it's true. It's like the, the man who married his high school sweetheart is so often wondering what it would have been like with another woman because they they never got to sample the palette of feminine flavors um so they come to you presumably because you've been on that path and you have sampled a lot you've sampled culture nature old and new worlds and you know old and new souls feminine souls and there's 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 something appealing about that in a corporate culture where people sit down on the metro every morning and look at their phone and try to not be seen by everyone else who's there. And it feels very mechanistic and very soulless. So I get that that is compelling, uh, but it makes me curious the kind of men that come to you. Um, are they uh, of a similar inclination as you were as a as a young boy? Are they kind of the outsiders, the renegades, the 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 dreamers, or are they more like the guy that has been stuck in a dry marriage for like thirty years and he just wants a little bit of water to drink, you know, from 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 the wellsprings of life? What who are these men? Everything. So I've worked with men from seventeen years old up to sixty-seven. And right. there's, there's been a few of them that have just declared, I want to follow in your footsteps. And I'm like, you really? Yeah. Well, let's have a conversation because you can follow in my footsteps and maybe I can condense 10 years of exploration down into 18 months for you, right? So you can avoid some of the lost cul-de-sacs. So I, I do have a lot of that, but more to the point, I think when you're talking about... Um, the kind of dry life for marrying your high school sweetheart and just following that that the conventional train. I work with a lot of men that see themselves as um, they've been climbing the first mountain, as David Brooks puts it, and so just going after success and attainment, so all the things that you should do to build a good life, right? But the the soul's urge is crying, sometimes is kicking and screaming inside of them. And, and then they reach out and they're like, I, I need to get off of this um, dry path. I want something that in what you talk about, I want my own version of it. 
I don't know what it is. Mm. Um, and a lot of the men, it, it's a very bewildering time because you struggle for a, a paradigm. What is this? You know, if I step off the first mountain, then what happens? And David, I mean, I recommend this book is really nice laid out. David Brooks, is that what you said? David Brooks, yeah. He's got a book called The Second Mountain. So the first mountain, you're you're climbing this this just blueprint of what society is giving you to climb. Law school, high school sweetheart, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And then and then you realize that that that's just very conformist and ego-based pursuits. And if you're lucky enough that soul starts stirring within you and you get a calling to some kind of adventure. Then you come off the first mountain and go into the valley. Now, the problem with that is as you go into the valley, you might divorce your first wife, or you might let go of your more secure and well-paying job. And yes. You might start in your savings, everything you've been saving for these whole times. And all you've got, all you know, is that you want something different. And there's no actual vision because the vision is gone. And you find yourself in that dark wood, right? I woke up in the middle of my life in a, in a dark wood and the true way was... Uh, gone taken is that taken for white yeah <laughs> no, that's <laughs> yeah so so they wake up and and then it's like i don't know where to go so where i come in is to offer a first of all a paradigm of actually actually this is fairly normal and mm. it's workable and there's a way through this wilderness terrain and then the other empowering thing i i offer is a narrative like i mentioned before with the seeing your life circumstance poetry and you see something odd, you're walking out of a life that you've now grown out of and you're no longer energized by it. Can we find a particular beauty to the thing that you're you're experiencing now? Can you start to tell yourself a a more beautiful story about what we can do? So there's there's something in what you just said that okay, so you climb the first mountain. And I guess the metaphor uh, that David Brooks uses is that there will be there will be a number of mountains after the first mountain, and I guess you can climb mountains for the rest of your life towards enlightenment. But but the the situation that you describe of a man who has followed the mold, he's he's done the right thing, and he comes to be stood on that first mountain and he's like, yeah, you know, it's not so hot. Up I mean, it's not so special. I need more. And he comes to you and you already sense that, okay, clearly his work isn't working. Clearly his relationship isn't working. I'm asking as a colleague in the field, but I'm also asking you and your particular, you know, artistic, beautifying vision what do you do in that position of responsibility when you realize that maybe his whole life is is about to go down the drain <laughs> you know do you do you uh do you work with him to beautify his life as it is or yeah. is it like yeah no let's just let's just Raise the anchor and set sail right away because clearly there's nothing to salvage here. Yeah, that's a really good question because I ask myself that a lot, right? Ethically, what ought I do? Because certainly if I'm uh, writing or broadcasting something online, I can be extremely forthright and passionate about what I think is the right path 
and what path yeah. I chosen and what I'm longing for. But when I speak to someone dead on and he really might make a big life decision, I want to make sure I have as in a funny way, he's coming to me for a guided. So I want to have as little influencing effect from that as possible. So, I mean, yeah. it's the foundational move of Paradox. coaching. Yeah. You, you come on the phone and you listen and you have to listen very, very deeply, more far more deeply than, than the words and, and really feel into what is the, the long arc of this man's life and one of the varying complex factors that he's managing. So to answer your question more specifically, I, I'm worked with a client, um, over a long period of time. I'd say about 15 months or so, we hit the big question on the table. My soul wants to do this, you know, grab a yacht and go around the world. But really my business, if I just give it another 15 months, I can get it to such a position that I'm going to be able to make investments and take care of people that I love. And it's going to put me in such a better position. So it's like, we're holding these two things. The most, most men that come to me, they don't usually say I'm stuck on this mountain of conventional living and I don't want to get out and I don't know how. No, most men come to me and they're like, I'm kind of stuck in this conventional world, but I really know what I want. And yet I'm stuck between these competing commitments, right? Mm. So I sit there and listen and, and kind of unpack a little what, what fears are keeping this thing in place, but what kind of romanticizing is going on here to may, maybe make the soul's path look outlandishly good. Are you watching too much Instagram? Have you got an unreal perspective of what that is? Some people do. But then on yeah. the other side, it's like, is building your business life at home and staying in the conventional world, can that be beautified? Is there a narrative? Is there meaning in that struggle? Is it time to develop some of those qualities of yourself, which later on are going to benefit this? And so in some cases, I have coached people and I kept them on the mountain as, you know, just knuckle down and get some business success. But then they usually come back and they said, yeah, I did it. And I'm so grateful that I did it. Now I'm ready to take the plunge in the other direction of the deeper way. Good. And then with some other people, I'm, I'm just like, you know, what's stopping you? Sell the house, you know, sell the house. What the hell are you doing? And um, I, I, am, I am offering a whisper, like a, like a cheeky trickster whisper of, no, you've, it's time to go. You've long outstaged your welcome. If you stay where you are, you've already told me you're getting sick doing this thing that you do not like, yeah. you know, like, take a step, take a step. I'm here. What's stopping you? What's the fear? What's the fear? Okay. Mm. And they, they come down into the, into the valley of the thing they long for most that fear our brain just sleep. Yeah. That's such an alive place. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever regretted taking the different path? Like, have you ever been curious about what life would have been like if you pursued like corporate success and all of, all of these things? Not that much. No. Like, did I ever sit for a couple of hours and dwell? Probably not. I had a client once who said something really wonderful to me. He said, um, he went traveling for similar reasons at a similar age that I did and had had many months abroad and beautiful memories. Right. And he ignited mm. the network within himself, poetic, uh, wonderful man and so on. Uh, we have many things in common that he came home and he was offered a work and he didn't really want to take it. But around that time he met a woman, absolutely beloved, and they got together and he continued this career path and he had the whole corporate thing. And he said, Julian, you're like a sliding doors. 
conversion with me because if I have been offered the job or if I was not walking, yeah, if I was not walking down this high road in London and I didn't kind of bump into this sort of childhood flame uh, in the coffee shop and we didn't start dating again, I might have been on the flight next week out of here somewhere else. And mm. I stayed in this conventional life in England, but you went out and did everything that, that you did. So I, I, I've seen my role in life over the last 10 years or so is I'm a sliding doors man. Like for everyone who did the conventional thing, I have seen this other kind of exotic and wild and mythical world. And I, mm. and I bring that back, right? So, so yeah. that's all this. And as years go by, we, we kind of mutually nourish each other more. You know, I, I, in the days where I was the lover archetype in your program, um, I could allow myself to, you were representing. <laughs> I don't agree that you were it. My existence and my role to play. But, you know, as I come back, I, I also get nurtured by that side as well, which is, yeah, kinghood and responsibility and wanting to uh, be a provider for, for other people and, and build a place in, in which we live and which we can grow something. So mm. I'm, I'm drinking from the, the water of skill, you know, this makes me curious. Um, there, there are, say you have a kind of rock star archetype, for instance, that um, has a lot of sexual partners, women come to him with such ease. And there is a certain point where that doesn't look so good on a man anymore when he's like 70 years old and you wonder where, where's the elder? You know, yeah, he, he still is acting like a teenager. And I'm wondering, as a man goes out in the world on a soulful impulse on the hunch that there's something out there for him and he, he, he tastes everything, uh, is, there, is there a point at which something in him, in this particular case, you, you feel like there is a pull back to something more of a conventional grounded like um maybe even sedentary isn't what i want but like more of a you're you're in the same place and building your kingdom kind of a way is is that is that part of the package because i would think that at, at a certain point you need to get in the mentality of finding instead of searching right mm -hmm. yeah where how do you see this and how how has this played out for you well i laughed when you talked about the rock star because i i know this character right and the, the decades go by and the the inner psychology and the things that they're living doesn't evolve and at yeah. one point you're like you were my hero a few years ago but now it's like you are a warning sign and something i don't want to run into yeah i i was particularly lucky because I did find something and I decided to take the the plunge and begin a monogamous relationship and choose a bubble else that I would do what it took in order to, to build us stability and flourishing. That was the start of an, a you know completely different adventure. But um if I had maybe kept my heart closed a little bit more or not taken the courageous step to say, I love you and I'm and I 
I love you and and I feel inclined to it and I feel this love is so valuable and worthwhile that I'm willing to sacrifice my wholly independent self searching self serving yeah. life in order to create something together with you. If I if I was a little bit more addicted to my own stuff or a little bit on my own self improvement, you know, Jordan narrative story, I could have just said goodbye to that opportunity for love. I could still be single now and I could still be you know, yeah. circumambulating the globe, looking for something that changed everything. The, the, the recognition I was lucky. I was, I was provided with a paradigm before this happened that you can, I, I believe in it, I guess, but you can evolve to greater, wider, deeper experiences of life and love in a committed relationship with someone rather than just being at the perpetual buffet. And I believe that that was true. And when the opportunity came to me, I, and it, I took a bunch and went into that. And it has been so. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, I and the relationship feel... forced me, you know, to come into what is king, your, your king archetype. What is it mm. to, to put some stakes in the ground and commit to certain things in different dimensions? An intimate relationship forced me to do that. Because I need to provide um, a sense of ground. Otherwise, we're two people in chaos. And I think that's, I don't know. I I sense that if I was still seeking for myself or even having a a co-seeking relationship, you know, we are two uh, lovebirds and we spend six months together and then we're off to other enclaves together around the world seeking. I, I have a sense that my nervous system would be shot now or like a, some of these uh, Galapagos puffins or whatever. It's just like, no, I'm done with these endless flights. Yeah. Can you give me my partner? I want to. I'm so glad you say this. And I, I actually expected you to say this um, because I do feel like there's something really special in your message of bringing more adventure, soul, beauty, art into life. And I can really see because of the kind of escapist culture that we have, how it at a certain point can become a flight from what the soul now wants. Maybe at a certain point I was propelled onto my quest but if I don't sort of like to use the whole hero's journey metaphor of coming back to the tribe and giving the gifts, you know, it's like if I am perpetually on the quest, there's a feeling of incompletion and of um, unwillingness to take a stand and be responsible for the gift that I have discovered and to steward that and to actually pay it forwards. Um, And yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just inescapable. It feels to me like you need that adventure, but you also need to build something. It's straight. I couldn't agree in a way. I couldn't agree with the words that you're saying because you're, you're vocalizing something that I, that doesn't come to my mind, right? But what mm. I do notice in myself is 
if you give me the choice between would you like to sit down for a few days in a cabin and put pen to paper on some of your deepest thoughts and feelings and things that you've experienced. So Jordan, go and sit in a cabin for four days and try and write from your heart. Or Jordan, would you like to go on a boat for four days with 25, 25 year olds, you know, with, with beer and champagne and staying up all night talking and looking at the stars, I would choose the cabin. And, and it's like, what happened to me? I don't know, but the, 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 <laughs> <laughs> the soul was like i find more quiet happiness in you know i i can't perpetuate the same story again and again i got to be happy with my lots and the things i experienced along the way but it, mm. it drives me wild actually to be with people in a different in a fundamental different stage of life either yeah but i also think that you wouldn't be happy in that cabin unless you had spent time on that boat in your past life Yeah, nothing to write. Yeah. Like, I've got nothing to... Nothing to... No stories down. to share. Yeah. Yeah. No perspective of the world, actually. Yeah. No real perspective of the world. You've traveled more than I have. Um, I don't know how many countries you've been to. I don't know. Do you have a number? Eighty-ish. Yeah. <laughs> you're like that's not a lover question it's like no <laughs> but uh i think i've been I, I probably visited anywhere between 40 and 50 countries so i've i've traveled and actually with with covid hitting and um travel initially becoming difficult i actually have really enjoyed not traveling and building a life with michelle here and we are how I ended up in the Swedish countryside is 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 a question in and of itself. Um, but I don't think I don't think I could be excited about building a family unless I had done those things. And um, <clears throat> I guess ideally, it's something that you do early on in life. Yeah. So what what is it with these older guys? Do they like play out like a delayed? youth or how do you how do you work with that i i do believe that there is a phase of development that is a wandering initiatory phase where the, the the whole job of the psyche and what we ought to be doing is going out into the world and experiencing this mysterious things um the whole spiritual quest different states of consciousness um uh healing meeting wildly yeah. different people and so on and i i think that's what we ought to be doing and in an ideal scenario, we would do that in our very late teens, early mid twenties, and then discover what is meaningful, what our values are, and therefore what do we want to come back and really yoke ourselves to for the rest of our days. Mm. And there are, um, we do have in the English culture, British culture, we still have some remnants that point to that, um, different kind of princes trust. And that there's this, Duke of Edinburgh that celebrates mountaineering and the great outdoors. When I was in school, they did great treks to um, Nepal and Kilimanjaro. Mm. So there is still like an, like an ailing, maybe crumbling vestiges of 
you know, the goodness of being a young Boy Scout learning about the wilderness and some of these great virtuous things. Um, I wonder, I though, I, I have yeah. a question before you move on. Has that been assimilated into consumerist culture so that it's like another notch in your belt, another like you, is your bucket list, you know, process or... Yeah, right. I, so or I is, is there a soulful component there still? I, I smile with a lot of dismay because at that age now, it's such a thing. We also have the, the gap here. So either between school and university or after university and going into the workplace, you ideally have a gap here. And so what happens is that there are tens of thousands of young people every year that want to have a gap year. They want to have the best gap year for their curriculum. So they go online and they buy gap year experiences. And I remember looking through some of these web pages. Yeah. And they were, there was one teach, teach boys in South America, how to play football. I mean, great. I think why South American boys would have anything to learn about football for me. <laughs> it's a mystery. It's like, they may know what they're doing out there, but like, Hey, many thousands of pounds, dollars to an institution that ships you over so you can pretend that you're giving some help and service that's not really that necessary, then get some big checks and go back to your corporate thing with a good gap year on your resume. So that whole thing has been largely corporatized. The other thing that is very, like, if you want to go traveling and have a wild adventure, the thing that has happened is that um, that whole kind of tourist route has become extremely commercialized as well. People will say, yeah, that goes back decades. You know, travelers have always followed other travelers to comfortable enclaves. But now you've got with the with the cell phone and hostels that provide, you know, meal delivery and a great cinema in the hostel right. and, you, yeah. you know, everyone commuting. So people go traveling, but they skip from Irish pub to Irish pub rather than having the, I'm going to go to a town where nobody looks like me and I don't speak the language and having that, you know, rare moment of stranger hospitality come in, stay with us. Oh, but is it safe? No, you can trust me. I will share. I want to share my bread and exchange cultures with you. Or going to sit in a wild place. Like you have to be really intrepid or you have to have a crazy older cousin or friend who tells you some stories that if you want to really go off peace. And I think for the soul encounter, like why Argentina or Brazil was so formative to me was I, I had my, um, I didn't do an exchange program at the university. I went to the university there and asked if they would take me in. I learned mm. the foreign language. I hung out with the friends that I made. I, you know, when people asked me, oh, my friends, do you want to volunteer this thing? Sure, why not? But it, but it was organic. This like, I went, yeah, 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 like, yeah. section into the culture and then became invited to opportunities within that. So yeah. that kind of stuff is very hard to find because yeah yeah the world has changed so much i remember i remember getting lost in these labyrinth labyrinth uh, you know this these narrow alleyways in i don't even know what indian city it is like and just walking not quite knowing where you are and there are strange smells coming out of every which window and door and all of a sudden you end up in a mosque and like here's some strange magic magical man that all of a sudden wants you to eat with his family and it's like oh you know am i going to get mugged behind you know a building somewhere or 
Yeah, well, you know, it's Something. like it's hard to know, and and that you need to then face the world in from this position of not knowing, and and that is really formative you know you need to learn what you can trust and what you can't trust and if you if you're saying no to everything it like after after the fact it's just going to be like i missed out dude you know you know it right and so you end up in these weird places and having weird experiences and it's like yeah that was that was like the highlight but if i <laughs> if i went on some website like magical man in an indian alley.com you know and then you're just like like <laughs> <laughs> you know, pay pay three hundred bucks to eat with his family, kind of a thing. It's just not quite the same thing. So, yeah. But hey, Jordan, there's there's a lot of weird shit going on in the world now, and it feels like even though there's so much that is streamlined and boring, and you know, soulless, and and everything is so. Normal, you know, you do the same things every day, but at the same time, I believe we're in liminal times, and basically, the world that we have come to know is sort of dissolving in actually quite quickly. It feels to me at this point like that process has accelerated. Um, and you were speaking to some of this in, in a video that I that I watched on your YouTube channel uh, yesterday. Um, what the heck is going on? <laughs> Can I, I, I just want to back up to the last question because I think there was a, a piece we didn't touch on. And, and oh, I there was, yeah. What you asked, but I think you asked if, if there is an older man, we've never had that wandering period. Does he have to go back and do that? And, and is he ever going to feel uh, a quietude in soul um, until you have that? I think, yeah, and if, if you are, like, you didn't, if you didn't live that wandering phase in your 20s, you can live it in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. But it's very good to have a conversation about what that entails and what that looks like so that you mm. can really listen to the particular calls of your soul and, and go and find those authentic, not knowing, find yourself in the wild, discover who you are in strange situations moments um it, it's possible to to craft for yourself that yeah that kind of initiation after the fact without getting so lost in the the things that 20 year old people do so so yes right. you, you can catch up and uh, i think you ought to catch up actually because what if you don't you're just going to stay on that first meaningless mountain for the whole of your life without ever really um trying to discover what these yearnings and desires and draws that you have inside of your yeah. you know, right um <laughs> but coming to, yeah. to the, the liminal time that we're in you 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 had asking your question and in, in a really beautiful way you know like this is what we're there, there's an unwinding or an unraveling liminal and it's chicken so i'm just thinking we're in free fall you know since the ai thing came out i've got no idea what's going on and i don't think i can even right. touch this so if we were unraveling during the last few years of COVID, I, I believe now this is kind of free fall. I don't know where I am or what I'm more to. Uh, in terms of what the institutional world is, actually, I don't know. I, I, I feel in myself correspondingly quite stable. 
because I know what I love and I know what I want to be with and surround myself with and how I want to live uh, with the people that I love. So even though I, th I see the outside world as in kind of free fall, I don't feel in free fall myself. I exactly. do feel a bit like, okay, if we make travel plans, how are we going to do this? It's a little bit more tricky than, than it used to be. But yeah. the, the feeling of what's within actually is, is very robust. Yeah. That's a more place to start from. Yeah, I feel similarly. And, um, you know, we're, we're building, we're building a beautiful life here. And, um, and I sometimes just feel really privileged to be living in a home where there's peace and tons of love and we're, we're like happy people, you know, and then I'm also as, as, as also you are, you know, very attuned to what's happening out there. And it's just like somebody opened Pandora's box, <laughs> you know, it's all playing out and. And so I do feel like, yeah, it's great to have this kind of privilege that I actually feel happy in the time, in, in a time like this. Um, but you were speaking to something that I loved in the video that I watched. You sent me that. And, and, and it was this idea of, of building worlds, world building. And so obviously with having this robustness inside uh, that actually gives you the the resources to do that um so what what world are you building right now and building a world based around these experiences and concerns that we've been discussing. And I think my solution to this liminal unraveling time that we've been in has been to turn inwards towards soul, right? So a lot of people are captured by their various place, you know, what they feel outraged by and what they're not liking. Some people are trying to make sense you know, of everything that's going on. And I'm, and I'm like, what is, um, soul? What is my story? What is my myth? What do I love actually? And what brings me alive and makes me feel passionate? What fills me with wells of energy? And, um, what, what are some of the, the images that inspire me? The, the poetry, the, the art, the film, what makes me feel really happy that I'm alive and what makes me um, what gives me my ground of belonging? Like, what are places that I want to belong to? Mm. Uh, maybe some of those questions sound nebulous, but mm. I might find in an author from a hundred years ago who's long passed away, uh, works of fiction that create a world. And when I read this, I, I love being there. I feel like I'm tapping into lineage, uh, an ancient spirit, um, Particularly, I, I love these very robust and a testicular male masculine authors, Hemingway's the world, Henry Miller, and so on. It's great. Jack London, um, these real male adventuring spirits. And I feel when I read these works that I tap into a lineage and then grow alive myself. So I, I find a second lineage 
obviously I got my family lineage and all the kind of ancestral gifts and, and wounds of that, but I also have my, this as a chosen lineage. I have, um, film directors, like I can watch a movie and be so enraptured by what I see. Screenplay, dialogue, photography, sound, music, the way the whole thing comes together. I have particular directors that when I watch one of their films, I just want to belong in this world, right? It's because these films exist. I'm happy that I exist. Somehow mm. my existence is, is reaffirmed to me and that's priceless, right? Like for anyone out there who, who's an aspiring artist, like whether it's visual art or cinema or writing, whatever it is that you're trying to create a computer game or an online community or whatever it is, or something in, in flesh and bone, it's, it's worth it that someone can come along one day and feel such a deep sense of belonging in this otherwise fragmenting world. And they feel that their life is worthwhile because they found something reflected in your work. So that like these gifts that, that I, the queen keep you going in a really, really big way. And mm. my question is, how can I participate in this lineage? I, mm. how can we take the works that I've loved and create something within my lifetime? Am I capable? That's the first question, but really it's, can I, can I add something to the canon so that 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, 200 years after me, people can find my dusty old books and be like, wow, this Jordan guy is, he's kind of nuts, but I feel something when he's writing this. He's, you know, the future gap year student who's going from Irish pub to contrast <laughs> um, um, experience that he's paid for online. What if he comes across something that I created and it puts a big question? I think in art in particular, I, I know that you used to run a website about movies. I guess you have a lot of thought a lot about the symbolism of right and in yeah. art or what is it that some one day I come across a movie or a book and I see a symbol and it just haunts me. Fifteen, twenty years later I start to make sense of this 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 movie I watched or this book that I read mm. earlier on in my life and then the, the, the loop gets closed. Um I also want to send like little symbols and messages in a bottle into the future so that what I feel is so sacred and makes me happy to belong. Other people can find that in the future and they turn around and they're like, yes, thank God. Like this is, this is cool. This brings me alive. I could have lived a more boring life, but because I encountered this thing that Jordan created, it, it gives me another way and it, and it releases energy in my body. So you asked me the question, um, about creating a world, what kind of world am I creating? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I could answer to you with the aesthetics and the influencing things that I want to portray, but the broad thing is I want to portray something of this essence that other people are going to be nourished by in this lifetime and then further off. Because one, why not? <laughs> Two, I... Am I capable of actually doing anything else? Probably not. This, this is probably my lot now. Like, <laughs> I might as well do it. Um, but, but also, I, I do sense that it's, it, it's needed. I think the things that I love, the things that you love, the things that the listener loves, um, if we don't somehow 
um, create our own version of that and put it in the canon, put it in the lineage, contribute, then maybe it will be forgotten in the future. Yeah. Well, it does feel to me like there's a splitting of humanity now where there's the people that are still really attached to nature and soul and spirit and all of those things and and an increasing secularization um, and a fascination with technology, AI, transhumanism, and that um, there is a certain responsibility of finding ourselves in the first camp because as far as I'm concerned, that's where humanity lives. And that second camp is where humanity dies. Um, and maybe there will be a genuine splitting and uh, some some of us will be tasked with keeping the human soul alive. Um, so, and it sounds like as the artist and writer that you are, it's like you creating worlds sounds more like a narrative thing, like a soul thing than necessarily building something physically. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, I, I, I write, so I will produce books. I will produce a literary universe. I will produce. You're, you're an author after all. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I am a birthing suit the author, right? I, yeah. I will produce a language that, that can enhance people's worldviews, right? So that, yeah. That, that's a huge thing that people are just reading online and that mm. might turn uh, I don't know, retreats and gatherings and yeah i mean online programs i offer so so that yeah. that is a universe and i can either be <clears> conscious <throat> of the fact that i'm creating a universe like you were telling me before this program when you set out to make uh reframe you in a throne it's like i can make an online course with 10 different steps or i could actually world build and add color and texture and beauty and um kind of mythical feeling into all the different steps in my program right so it's yeah. it, 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 it it's world world building yeah yeah and yeah. every and and it whether you you run a coffee shop or a mechanics or in a and a gas station people food truck in a gas station or something like that you, you might think you're selling something quite simple, coffee and hot dogs, right? But in that place, you can actually create a world where people want to belong. Yeah, Just absolutely. On radio, the quality of the goods that you share, the, the smile and the welcome, the the uh, aesthetics of what you create. Um, yeah. One good cafe sometimes is enough to make me happy that I stay in this town. And if the cafe wasn't there, it would be, Derivate soulless. We're missing a great cafe in uh, in our little town here. Because basically, there, there isn't one. I mean, there is there is this castle that has an, uh, an attached cafe, but it's not in the center. So I know I know what you're saying. It these places where people have really made an effort to to world build, they they can really make a whole town come alive. Um, I want to. We're we're coming towards the end of our conversation. Uh, there's a little bit more territory that I, I want to cover. And um, I want to bring attention back to these men. Both you and I work with men in so, somewhat different ways, but similar enough ways that we are, you know, on each other's programs and things like that. Um, what 
do you see as vital for men now and moving forwards uh, for men to thrive and to make lives of meaning uh, in in these liminal times of unraveling? Men is a diverse category. First it's a big category, yeah. <laughs> so, to, you know, it, it's going to be nuanced. But I think from my very particular corner of the world, initiation, and particularly to understand what is what is soul. I, I know I mentioned that word a lot. I haven't defined it, but what is soul? Does it exist? Is there a deeper aspect to you that's very unique, that's full of feeling, uh, energy, where moments in which you find life inherently meaningful what 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 is that what makes you come alive what adds wonder and curiosity to you what makes you feel awestruck i think yeah it, i mean the word initiation often conjures like some difficult masculine feat like one vision quest or being buried overnight or some kind of army you know three month basic training in the army or something like that but initiation actually into the the, the very wondrous and curious uh, things that 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 make you feel deeply in love and wanting to belong to life like how does that mm. pertain to you what is your version of that what is your flavor of that where do you need to go so that you can find all of that Maybe for mm. a big round the world adventure. Maybe actually you can do it within your own country, you know, within your act. Um, maybe you do that more in art and culture. Maybe you do that fully in the wilderness. I I don't know exactly the particulars for everybody, but what do men need? I I think men benefit really, really, really from having firm, clear answers to those questions, because that's what gives you the inner robustness. I think other things too, but particularly to to know exactly what what is your essence and your soul. Mm. Yeah. Great. I feel like this is going to be a conversation that leaves us with a sort of lingering tone of contemplation at the end of it. But I have two questions uh, that I ask everyone. Um, the first question is. What do you love about being a man? Easy. There's something easy. That's what comes to mind. <laughs> and it's not a rational answer because there's a lot of very hard things about being a man, right? Yeah. In, in terms of like responsibility, what's expected of us, um, the ways in which we don't feel free. But you're asking me that, and, and it's a Freudian answer, easy, that there is an ease to... When I when I rediscover my freedom, and I rediscover like the, the simple being in my body, and um, there, is a, there is a profound easiness and an uncomplicatedness to being a man. Mm. Yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. Once we find, I think, a particular liberation from from things that we suffer with. Yeah. Nice. Second question I have 
if if all of the men listening to this podcast if you had them all in a room right now and uh, you got to give them one instruction that everyone present would have a 100% implementation of what would you tell them oh oh my god Wish I knew this question beforehand. Okay, I'll go to the, <laughs> the, the Freudian first thing that comes to my mind. So every man in the room said we'd do in a conference and there's a hundred thousand yeah. it won't be saving or something. What would yeah. what would they do? I would I would invite them uh to go in and remember the first thing in childhood that they really, really loved. And flesh out that kind of original, deeply inspiring thing that they loved, hmm. and then turn around and tell it to a you know a friend, so they revel in the sharing of that. And then the second part, I'd I would ask them, and how has that echoed itself throughout their life? Great. There's a lot there. We have arrived at that place in childhood with several men that I have spoken to on this podcast already. So, yeah. Okay. It's a, it's a common... Um... Yeah, in the previous podcast, I'm, I'm launching the podcast with Jakob Kjergård. He's a men's sexuality coach. I'm launching that podcast today. And he was sharing about how early in his childhood not super early but when he was starting to have sexual impulses he discovered he discovered these his subtle body uh -huh. through through masturbation and all of a sudden he he starts unknown, unknown to him at that point but he starts the path towards teaching men on what is actually possible in the realm of sexuality and so i, I think it's I think it's a place that is often overlooked because we aren't necessarily shown the value and wisdom of what comes up before we get fully conditioned by culture. <clears throat> so, yeah, yeah uh, Jordan, this has been a pleasure. Uh, I've really enjoyed traveling on these pathways of the soul with you today. Uh, I want you to let the men who are taken and wanting more wanting more of your message i want you to tell them where they can find more yeah and if any women have snuck into this conversation they can also find uh cool. jordan jordan lucecollier.com has everything and my writing mm -hmm. is on substack so jordan lucecollier.substack.com and mm. i i'm also on youtube as well yeah and you have a program called legacy i believe yep yeah it's actually launching soon within a month i'm going to open it up again and it's a year-long coaching you've, you've run it now for how many one year we, we just finished the maiden journey it was wild I... guys beaming faces at the end where it felt like a a really good a really good passage yeah so we're going to launch again legacy That's course fantastic. again the files are on my website you can click through and have a look at all the information on the page. great 
Well, I guess we're at the the end of the road for this time. Jordan, thank you for coming. To those of you having listened in today or you're watching this on YouTube, I hope you've enjoyed this episode with Jordan. And don't hesitate to contact him if there are certain soul strings that have been plucked. So I look forward to seeing you again in the next episode. I hope you have a great day and uh, bye for now. All right. Thank you.